This is Blaine Scully. Welcome to the Captain's Code. Each week, we talk with the leaders of high-performance teams about the role they play in making a culture of excellence possible. My guest this week is Al Guido, president of the San Francisco 49ers, who oversees all key business initiatives for the team. Al also concurrently serves as CEO and co-managing partner of Elevate Sport Ventures, an organization that is uncovering and developing new revenue streams for sports and entertainment businesses. Al has received multiple accolades for his leadership and impact, including two appearances on the Sports Business Journal 40 Under 40 list, and the franchise being named the 2017 ESPN Sports Humanitarian Team of the Year Award. The Captain's Code is brought to you by XV Media, Brand Forward, and Front Office Sports. Now, if we could just kind of start with a little bit about your journey and, and your background, that would be amazing. Yeah, so I grew up um, uh, in New Jersey. I was born in Philadelphia, raised in South Jersey. Learned work ethic from my mom and dad. My mom, you know, worked two jobs till 11 o'clock at night, you know, put food on the table. And I made my way through high school. I think we moved probably somewhere around 10 times before I was 17 years old and, you know, got the opportunity. I was literally going to go in the military. I went to the Army Rangers office, like the local recruiting office. I filled out all my paperwork and I was sort of waiting to hear back on what the next steps were going to be. In between that time, um, my cousin was playing college football at a school called Trenton State College. And so I went up there and visited him to watch the game on a Saturday. And the coach comes up and says, hey, you know, you're Al Guido. I said, yeah, I am. He said, you know, you played quarterback at Washington Township High School, whatever. And I said, yeah, I did. He said, why don't you apply to come here? We'd, we'd love to have you. And I said, you know, I don't know, you know, coach, I don't think I'd, I'd get in. You know, I went some, through some trouble as a kid when I was a junior in my grades. And he's like, listen, I think you're probably better off than you think. Mm. Just apply. Mm. And so I applied thinking, you know, even if I got in, how am I going to afford this it? Is this college in New Jersey? Yep. Yeah. And so I get in. I get my acceptance letter and I'm stoked. So I played three years of college football and was able to graduate in three years and decided to just stop. I could have went to school my fourth year and played, but I just said, you know what, let me go into the working world. I took a job as a financial advisor. I was waiting tables. So I'd go to school. I'd wait tables after practice. We'd play our games on Saturday. I'd do a double on Sunday to pay. And then I met a guy with his wife. They would come in every single Friday night. I would serve their table, and he's like, hey, I work for this financial advisor firm. I'd love to give you a job. So I went to go do that, and six months later, um, I just didn't love it. Like, for me, like, it didn't have the sort of the teamwork, the camaraderie, the connection, yeah. Like, it didn't feel like a locker room, and I was sort of striving, and I wanted that. My dad knew how big of a sports fan I was, and so he called me up one day and said the Philadelphia 76ers and Flyers were hiring, and then... I took a job at six bucks an hour on a three-month guarantee, and then the rest of it's sort of just history. I, every 18 months, I've jumped around from team to team to team until I got my big break with the Cowboys um, and spent three years there opening up Cowboys Stadium. We launched a consulting firm, got hired by the Niners, and the rest is history. Why do you think you crave that sport connection? Is is it? So just kind of growing up being a sports fan and then, you know, you decide, okay, that's missing from my life. And now I want to take the experience I had as a, as an athlete and then really try to continue to chase that for, for what I do professionally. That's exactly right. I mean, I think when you, when you're a kid and you want to play sports, it might be because you idolize some professional athlete and you want to be them one day. And I'm sure, like, I have three little girls right now who love, you know, the U.S. women's soccer team. And 
And then what you come to find out, I think, when you play it is you still aspire to be that, but um, really what you get out of it is all the work ethic, the character-building traits, um, and tremendous friends for life, um, people that will always care about you and want the best for you in your life and will push you, um, will pick you up when you're down, right? We'll celebrate you when you're up. And I wanted to work in an environment that had that feel, like we were all in it together. We were all striving for one goal. And yeah, of course, like in the business world, we all want to have our own individual success. Um, but our individual success really didn't mean anything unless our team had some success. And I felt like sports was that place to do it. I knew I was never going to be able to impact it on the field, given my stature and athletic ability. And so if I could impact it in some small way off the field, um, and no different than how we choose our teams. Like, obviously, in high school, we don't get to choose our teams where we live. Um, but... I, I, I just so happened to play for a really good coach in college who had my best interest at heart, who cared about me as an individual more than he cared about me as a player. Um, and then the same thing, like when I got out, I just wanted to choose um, good opportunities, working for really good people um, that frankly cared about me first um, more than the job itself. And if I did that, I thought that those people would have, you know, would look out for me and give me opportunities, whether they be at the actual team I was at or maybe in this world. And so sports is like this, you know, it's everybody thinks of it as this big, you know, ecosystem, right? And, and to, to some degree it is. There's 30 professional teams and the five or six big leagues, but really it's this small sort of fraternity sorority. And, um, based. yeah, it's very much a people driven business. And, I think once you're in it, you're in it. And as long as you got good people on your side, good teammates, you can be really successful. So how do you build that from an organization side, that sort of connection? So like you said, you, you're not on the field. And and frankly, from your experience going from well, there's Phoenix to, to the Cowboys and then to the 49ers and you have some stuff in between and you kind of ascended pretty quickly. So it's like this probably hybrid where you're almost learning on the fly almost working and cross with people who may be more experienced with you in that position but you know at the end of the day you're focusing on what your performance and believe in but how do you drive that as a as a as an emerging leader in the industry but then also kind of set the cultural standard it's challenging i think first and foremost you gotta it's all about hiring and being around really good people right no, nobody does anything on their own in team sports uh our people are our intellectual property right we're not software companies we're not technologists like we're a people-driven business. And so I try to balance it with, like, I try to focus a lot of my time on the things that I frankly think I can do well mm. and don't focus a lot of my time on the things I can't do well. Like, hire unbelievably brilliant, smart people on the things that might be, I don't call them weaknesses, more just blind spots for me. It's all about surrounding no different than anything else, right? Football team has a quarterback that needs to surround themselves. Like, a, you could have the best quarterback in the world. If it doesn't have a good O-line, yeah. that person's not going to be successful. And I could be the best sales marketer ever, Right. But if I don't have a good product, if I don't have a good marketing team, right, if I don't have a good financial backing, um, then I'll never be successful. How do you ID those people first and foremost? And then how do you how do you grow and develop those people in order to be positive contributors to, you know, effectively not only the organization, but the team specifically? To me, like it's intellectual curiosity. So, you know, if at, at the highest level, certainly you need to be experienced. You need to have done it, maybe. Right. Exactly. Some subject matter expertise. Um, the best people, the most successful people are, are those who sort of have some grit and perseverance to them, especially where I grew up in the sales vertical, right? 95% of your life is spent in failure. Every cold call you make, every email touch point you have, like it doesn't, it generally doesn't result. And so nine out of 10 times you fail. 
And so to try to figure out how to hire for that, like the mentality around someone that doesn't get burnt out, cornerbacks have it in football a lot. Mm -hmm. Like if I get burnt on one play, can I forget about it, right? Can I not lose my technique? And so what I'm looking for is really hungry people, intellectually curious about how the business should run, not only how the business should run, but like what is out there in the future. We can't all foresee it. Like we're not all experts, but we need to be on the cutting edge of like what the new trends are to make sure we don't miss it. Um, and then people who foster really good camaraderie, right? Who lift each other up, who are not all about themselves. You know, Bill, Bill Walsh has this great book, right? And in it sort of 10 things like great leaders do. And, and everybody might think it's spend a lot of money on a staff. And it's honestly, it's about like giving everybody the resources and tools they need to do their job, making sure that someone has the best friend inside their work, right? That they can rely on in down times. Like it's more of what people might think is more touchy feely. But I think of those as like the core principles around caring for each individual, looking out for them as a person um, in the office and outside of the offices, then giving them the resources they need to do their job, giving them um, enough scope or sort of rope to do their job on their behalf the way that they think they should do it without micromanaging. And if you do those things, you got to be willing to deal with a little bit of failure here and there. Like people are going to fall on their face. I do all the time. Um, but allowing them to get back up and supporting them and while at it. If you do that, I think you could grow a really good team. Yeah, I love that because I was actually thinking about, I mean, I'm an athlete, so I'm totally comfortable with understanding, okay, failure is inevitable, but doesn't necessarily mean it's final. I get the next play to potentially go out and, and affect the next outcome. We all make mistakes. I mean, no one is, per- there is no perfect person, right? And I think you got to give people the rope to, that's how you learn. I call it like scar tissue, right? I don't, I don't yeah. hurt myself anymore. Yeah. At least I try not to. I got some. But scar, like, <laughs> I have scar tissue in business, yeah. right? You, yeah. you, you make a mistake, you learn from it, um, and you know, as long as a, as long as a mistake was made with the right intent, yeah. right? I was trying my hardest. I thought about it. I do the, I did the due diligence necessary, and I made the decision that I thought was best at the time. Like, if you chose that, if that was your criteria, great. Do it all over again, but when you get to the finish line, maybe try something different, right? Or if you missed one piece of input or output, like, okay, what was it? What could you have done throughout the process? But try not to dwell on it. I mean, because, listen, what I love about my business or our business is sports and entertainment is escape from life for everybody else. Like, we're not curing cancer. We're not your life insurance policy, right? We're your escape. So we're going to make mistakes, um, but we're there to, you know, be like we joked about it before we got on air like i'm holding the keys right now and there i i realize and pinch myself every day that millions of people that are 49ers fans would love to do what i get to do i walk to this podcast across the levi stadium football field and if i try to remember it in those terms like what we do is supposed to be fun yes we're a for-profit entity yes we have to run a business but if it's not fun if we're not supporting each other clapping for each other helping out our fans then then what really are we yeah, I love that. And and kind of going back to you know the Bill Walsh thing because uh, this core takes care of itself is like one of my favorite books ever because it helped me as a young athlete. It's like okay, well, when you're young, you focus on what it is I need to do, right? And then when you get a little bit older, you think about yourself in the context of the team and how can I help us achieve, which you know effectively we all want to win anyway. So it's like that interesting transition. But I'm wondering from a sort of an organizational level, when you have and maybe be interesting to pull from your experience from the Cowboys and from the 49ers, when you're dealing with an organization with a lot of legacy and history, mm-hmm. how do you how do you incorporate all the really positive stuff that frankly is a part of you, but at the same time be able to 
like, okay, well, this is, this is who we have been. This is who we are. But at the same time, we still need to do things our own way a little bit. So how is that as a leader trying to sort of drive that and continue, maintain that, that grounding as well? It's, it's actually easy in the building. It's harder outside. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think our, our fans here at the 49ers and to some degree the Cowboys, we have such a rich history where anything we change, you know, if we change the font on the field from what it was in the 80s and 90s, like that in and of itself is like, whoa, whoa, what are you guys doing? Right. And so if we get too far out of that, but I think for us, we, we joke our marketing slogans like faithful then, faithful now. Our oval never changes. What you cheer for never changes. The hero feature is still the 11 guys on offense, 11 guys on defense, 11 guys on special teams and the broader team. The things in and around that have to change, right? They have to evolve. They have to get better. If we're making decisions on, that are like in the best interest of our fans and we explain it to them, they'll be okay with it. The stadium move is a great example, right? We played in Candlestick Park. It was the oldest non-renovated stadium in the U.S. It, we were 31st in revenue in the entire National Football League. And it was hard, right? I mean, you know, I grew up going to Veterans Stadium and I know what that felt like, right? And, and to some degree, like you go with your parents, you go with your friends and you have all these moments that you're attached to in this you know, place that has all this history. And someone say like, why would you build something new? Well, you have to maintain, you have to sustain your business. You have to put a winning product on the field. Um, and so to do that, we needed to build new. And there's all these, like, everybody's like, well, you should have stayed where you were. And it's like, well, it wasn't feasible with, you know, the land that you need to build it on, right? The politics here, the lack of public money. And by the way, I totally agree with that. Like we should have built our own stadium and financed ourselves, and we did. And so then you got to pick a spot that's right for your, for your fans for the long haul. And it's not going to feel great. Like it's 50 miles south of where it was. Um, frankly, it's closer to a lot of our season ticket orders than we were at Candlestick Park. But I'm not, I don't try to get caught up in trying to sell them on, you know, that they shouldn't be hurt by that. Like they should, they should have an emotional attachment to that. But they should also understand the reasons why it makes sense for our franchise, their franchise and the future. And the, like, the product that we can put on the field given the resources that we might have at our disposal now. At our disposal now. Sports in and of itself is cyclical. We're gonna win, we're gonna lose. As long as we're transparent with our fans, like, here's the, here's the decisions we're making, here's the reasons why, here's how we think it will benefit you. And even sometimes here's like, it's not gonna benefit you. You know, we're about to embark on a development next door. It's gonna dramatically impact parking and transportation probably in a negative way. But the end result of that is gonna be unbelievably positive. And so I think when you describe it in that way to the fans, they totally understand it and they appreciate it. It's like, just tell me what's going on. Here's what we're doing. Here's why. Here's how it impacts you. Here's why we think it's the right thing. We will not always be 100% right. But if we go about it that way, I don't think our fans will care or say like, oh my God, you're pulling away so much from the past and you're trying to be so different. Like Levi's is our name. It's a great example, right? Tremendous amount of history. And so I used to joke with Chip Berg and J.C. Curley, Chip Berg is the CEO, like you can embrace sort of your legacy brand and still be aspirational in nature. Like you can do both. And I think we're kind of the same way. Like our fans who've been with us for so long, we need to embrace that and embrace how passionate they are about the past and the things that, but we also need to realize that there's young people right now that who are deciding what sports they're going to be a fan of, which teams they're going to be a fan of. And we need to, as a business, connect to those who are making those choices. 
and the, and how we market to them or how we communicate with them might be very different than how we communicate to a 30-year season ticket holder all the way back to keys are, right? And so I think in this day and age, you should be able to do both. And technology has given us the platform mm -hmm. to have certain messages that go to fans that want them that way and certain messages that go to our younger demographic. You can embrace history and challenge the future or embrace the future at the same time. As far as you individually and, and, and kind of not just like your roles, which is you know, pretty extensive both in the organization and from a stadium standpoint, also elevate and, but then also like your family as well. So how, how do you kind of manage like the balance is, is like part of, you know, the challenge of being an athlete, although it's singular and focused and not nearly have to worry about the level of admin, which I call it that what you would have to do is still even a challenge to like manage the pressure of performance on the weekend, but also making sure I have enough time for my wife and to do some things like life experience stuff, you know? So like, how do you kind of individually be able to do that? It's hard. Um, this whole work-life balance thing is like, no one's figured it out. There's, you know, everyone, and everyone has a different answer. And I got lucky. Like I, I was able to, to, to get a partner in, my wife who worked in the sports industry, who understood what it meant, um, and who is now a tremendous role model for my girls, right? In a fairly still male dominated industry that's thankfully changing, but not at the pace I wanted to change. You know, she understands and appreciates the hours that we have to put in. She also knows she married a person who's like driven by certain things. And if I would, if I wasn't doing all those things, I'd be bored. You wouldn't be doing. And I'm not like, yeah. we joke, um, at, at times that she's like, you, you like you'll climb up a mountain and then instead of walking down all the way like you'll just go create another one and try to climb it and that's just how you're built and if you weren't doing that you'd actually be miserable you'd be a miserable husband you'd be miserable at home but don't get me wrong there's times where like i'll miss one of my daughter's games and i'll question myself like is this all worth it i never get this time back but then i reconcile that with I think my daughters are proud of their like how hard I work and I go back and look at like yeah my mom and dad weren't always around but that's because they were doing whatever they humanly possibly could to to give me a better life. And I don't fault them for that. Like as a matter of fact I think it helped me learn what it meant to work hard and treat people right and I focus on like hey like what is the most important thing now and family's always the most important thing. And so I try to be selective around what I do right now. But um, I think my daughters, like, I love when they walk in here and they feel like, oh, this is the place that daddy works. And those experiences, they're priceless. And I get to go all over the country with my girls and show them parts of the world I never saw as a kid. And if that might mean I miss, you know, a Wednesday night practice, like, it stinks, but it's sort of the trade-offs we make. So how, how would you define leadership? Cool. I know it's, I know it's a loaded question. I know it's tough. So we embarked on this this whole journey with, with Simon Sinek, who became a mentor of mine. Um, he wrote this whole book, Start With Why. A lot of people know it, obviously. He gave a very popular TED Talk. At the 49ers, what we really wanted to recreate was we had to get away from the definition of success only being Super Bowl wins. Like, obviously, that's our goal every year. That's what we strive to do. But... The way we define it for now, it could change, but it's like our why and purpose is to go a step further for someone so they feel part of our family. 
And that filter for me is leadership. Do, am I treating my employees or our employees the way that I would want to be treated, right? Would I, what would I do for a family member that I wouldn't do for an employee? And they should be the same. I should do both. At the end of the day, we all need fiscal responsibility, but that doesn't mean that you can't treat people with purpose and care. And, you know, I used to tell my managers when I first, after I, I was a terrible manager when I first became a manager because I, I did all, all the things I thought I should do mm-hmm. instead of like just become like leading the way that I would want to lead. Might not be the right way. Um, you know, I try to do it out of a book. And then after I had my first year, I decided I was going to say, listen, I'm, every time I meet with somebody, I'm going to spend the first 30 minutes of that conversation asking nothing but personal questions. You know, who they are, what motivated them, what, what they're fearful, fearful of, childhood, whatever, some of the stuff we just did today. Because if I can get a baseline understanding of like what motivates you, what are your fears, what do you aspire to be, um, who might you look up to, it helps me as a manager or leader just think through how I might want to interact with that, pe- that person. And everyone's different, right? Everybody is motivated by different things. I think the definition of leadership is frankly truly caring for those in your care. And, you know, I often like steal quotes from people um, and there's this really one powerful one that's like the leadership is not about being in charge, it's about taking care of those in your charge. And if you think about it through that lens, I'm only going to be as good or we're only going to be as good as, frankly, you know, maybe the lowest paid employee on our payroll feels about coming into work every single day. And I don't, look, you're never going to get 100% there, but I think the, the goal should be to try and get 100% of pride and value and feeling around when I pull up at my work. Am I like sprinting into the office because I just want to be a part of the team? You know, am I motivated by the job I do, right? Am I mentally stimulated by my role and responsibility? Do I love the people I get to do it with? Do I feel like they have my back? If all of those things check the box, like I wake up in the morning, my feet hit the ground and I'm sprinting here. And then to answer your work-life balance, like this is sort of the balance, right? At the end of a hard work day, can I look myself in the mirror so I did everything I possibly could? I worked as hard as I could. I put my two feet home and I sprint my, my tail home because I want to get back to my kids and my family to like cherish every moment. If I check those two boxes, then we've done a good job of leadership. It's not easy. And trust me, we're not perfect. We fail a lot. I certainly do. And I'm not perfect every single day. I just think it's acknowledging those times and sort of brushing them off. And then, you know, come in the next day with a better attitude. Mm. Awesome, man. Well, again, real grateful for your time. Thank um, you. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed the opportunity. Awesome. And uh, it was great to meet you. That's it for this week's episode of the Captain's Code with Blaine Scully. Be sure to visit Front Office Sports website for more episodes. Thanks for listening.